I think when you're an entrepreneur or, or when you want to be an entrepreneur, a lot of us think, especially folks your age, think that it has to be some idea that's never been thought of before. And what I realized is you just have to find one thing that you do different and better than other people. And it's it could be a, a company or even a new industry. Welcome in to another episode of the Professional Profiles podcast that uncovers the time-tested wisdom for the next generation. Join me, a forward-thinking team, as I engage in insightful conversations with industry titans, revealing the invaluable ingredients that pave the way to achieving remarkable success. Today, I'm very lucky to sit down with Kurt Wilkin. Kurt is a best-selling author for his book, Who's Your Mike? He's an angel investor, an entrepreneur, and Hire Better's co-founder. Hire Better is a national recruiting firm working directly with leaders of high-growth companies to build game-changing teams. In our conversation, Kurt and I cover the major misconception in entrepreneurship, the qualities every successful team has, Kurt's angel investing strategy, how to start a successful company, the entrepreneur archetype, the power of change, how to build credibility, and much, much more. I really hope you like this wonderful episode, and if you do enjoy, make sure to send this to someone who can use the advice. Thank you, and enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Charlie, I'm fascinated, and I'm really looking forward to the discussion as well. I love what you're doing, especially as a, you know, as a high school student. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. So just to jump into it, I'd love to hear about what it is you do now and what led you to this point. And I know there's so many things you can cover, but what do you do now and how'd you get up there in the simplest terms, I guess? Sure. Uh, first of all, when I was your age, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And maybe even you know, uh, when I was 30, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, but I currently uh, run a recruiting firm uh, where we work with entrepreneurs to help them uh, grow their team from, you know, being a bunch of scrappy startup, you know, generalists to uh, being a professionally run organization. So it's uh, a lot of transition transitions and, and life adjustments as you go through that. And also, uh, I'm an angel investor in the similar type companies, which mean I uh, I help with uh, with capital to help them uh, grow to the next level. How did I get here? Man, that's a long story. But uh, in in college, I didn't really know what to major in. And my dad was an accountant. So I figured, hey, let's major in accounting. It's a great basis for anything you want to do in business. And uh, I got out of college and I was a CPA for Ernst & Young, which is a big accounting firm. And I I looked really smart and good on paper. Um, Reality is I'm not a very good accountant. And uh, I realized I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like accounting. And so I, man, what did I do? How did I come into what I'm doing now? Just life kind of evolved. And I ended up working for a dot-com and realizing, man, I kind of like being an entrepreneur. What do I, what would I want that company to be? I ended up starting a, um, an accounting consulting firm, which is crazy because I'm not a great accountant, but, um, I think when you're an entrepreneur or, or when you want to be an entrepreneur, a lot of us think, especially folks your age, think that it has to be some idea that's never been thought of before. And what I realized is you just have to find one thing that you do different and better than other people. And it's, it could be a, a company or even a new industry. Okay. On that same note, I'd love to just talk about entrepreneurship real quick. So what do you think are the qualities that determine a successful entrepreneur? And what have you found that you believe your skills are that help you in your position? Uh, for me, it's it's grit and being able to do whatever it takes to be successful. 
I just got off a podcast myself where uh, I asked uh, the the guest what his attributes he looks for in an entrepreneur what he, before he invests, and he said confidence and um, and uh, commitment. So confident he, uh, in their product or service and that they could be successful, and commitment to working twenty four seven. Man, it's a, it's a grind. Uh, entrepreneurship's not for everybody. It looks glamorous when you see their Instagram photos and a picture of their Lamborghini or whatever. But, uh, you know, there's a lot behind the scenes that got them there. And I wish people would talk more about their challenges and their, uh, and their stumbles as they do about their successes. Well, on that same note that you just mentioned, could you mention some of the challenges that you've faced on your entrepreneurial journey? Well, one of the first ones was uh, everyone told me I was an idiot to, to try it, to do <laughs> what I was doing. And uh, you have to have some conviction that you can be successful. Take in the advice and counsel, but that doesn't mean that uh, you have to do whatever someone else suggests. Be your own person. So that was one. Uh, the other is I had a new wife and a new baby. So that was a challenge to overcome, meaning I had to put food on the table. And sometimes entrepreneurs don't make money to start. It takes a couple of years to, to build up enough to, you know, to truly put, put food on the table. Uh, another one is, um, and just having the, uh, I'll use the word again, grit, uh, or stick to itiveness, whatever old guys use that's, uh, you know, young people make my kids make fun of me all the time for using words like that. But man, it's, uh, it, it's, as I said, it's hard work and being willing to get up every day and get up off the mat and go back to work is you have to take a lot of rejection and a lot of, uh, overcome a lot of adversity. I'm sure I can only imagine. So what made you want to make that jump into the entrepreneurial world? And how did you convince yourself to take this big leap of faith? Man, that's a great question. Um, I, I worked for large companies before I uh, started uh, the controller group, which was my first big venture. And uh, I came from an entrepreneurial household, so I knew what what it looked like a little bit to be uh, an entrepreneur. And I realized I didn't really want to work with a big bureaucratic organization. It drives me crazy uh, when you see some of the decisions and how things operate and you've got to go four levels up to make a decision. And I'd like to move quick. And I think that was part of it is I just wanted to be my own boss. Now, again, a lot of people think be your own boss and that you get to go, you know, sail the Greek Isles, you know, while you're making money. And, Sure, being an entrepreneur gives you the uh, flexibility to do those types of things. But if I'm if I'm on a Greek uh, aisle, I'm probably got my laptop with me and not working all the time, but I'm doing a little bit of work along the way just to uh, um, keep things moving while uh, while I'm going. So I only I could only imagine that there would be some similarities between the entrepreneurial world and the angel investing world. So I'd love to sort of transition into your work as an angel investor. So what are some of the principles that you apply and what are the qualities that you look for in your investments? And I'd, later, I'd love to talk about your recommendations on people, young people investing in their futures as well. But yeah, first question you know, I, first. I think it always comes down to the people. And when, uh, when we're recruiting and building a team, it's all about building a team that could be successful. And kind of the same way with, with uh, when we're putting cash in a business, we want to invest in an entrepreneur that's that we believe in. And, uh, as I said before, commitment and, uh, confidence is the words that my friend, uh, um, Tyler used, 
But basically, I want to believe in the entrepreneur. You can have the greatest idea in the world. And if you can't execute or if you don't have the commitment to getting it done, uh, it's never going to happen. So it's not just about the idea, guys. It's it's about the uh, commitment to execution. For sure. And so many people that I've talked to have mentioned the importance of starting early and in the investing world. So do you believe that that's definitely an important thing? Maybe not just in angel investing, because I know that can be a very risky arena, but maybe just some simple investments just to start out with. Yeah. So what you're describing is it's basic math. If you start in a modestly safe investing world, whether it's real estate or stocks and bonds or something like that, the sooner you start, the sooner that uh, grows and then that compounds and becomes a bigger number over time. And if you wait till you're you know, 54, like me, uh, you've, you don't have the time to build the equity uh, that you have when you're, you know, your age at 18 or 17. For sure. Okay. So you touched on that you look for a good team as well. What are the qualities that make up a good team? Like what, what makes a good team? Uh, that's a great question. And I would say that a team is people with differing skills and a diverse range of thoughts and perspectives, and they're able to come together and work cohesively as one. So they're behind the mission and they're aligned with where the company and the, and the entrepreneur uh, wants to go. You can have a very, very talented people individually, but if they're not working together as a team, just like a sports team, you're going to crater. So go look at any very expensive, you know, New York Yankees or Lakers or whatever that uh, have been built on just bringing in the best talent. So you have to be able to work together as a team. Beyond that, it's um, it definitely some of those skills I talked about before, being able to get stuff done, uh, being able to, uh, to work in an entrepreneurial environment. It's not for everybody. If you're an, uh, working for an entrepreneurial company, it's almost like being an entrepreneur yourself. So, uh, um, if you're an entrepreneur, you need people with those same types of skills to be successful in the early days. So now I'd like to transition to your book, right? Which is, I'll let you introduce it actually. How, how about we do that? All right. Okay. Uh, I have a copy here. So oh, there we go. Who's your mic? And the subtitle is a no bullshit guide to the people you'll meet on your entrepreneurial journey. Um, I thought it would be interesting to write a book about uh, not just recruiting, not just building a business, but what does a team look like as you grow? And uh, along the way, most entrepreneurs are going to outgrow members of their initial team. So the person who was really good at, you know, setting up your uh, Instagram account or whatever when you started is not your chief marketing officer, you know, five years later when now you're doing $10 million in business. And so nobody really talks about that. But I wanted to put it out there and I put it out there in forms of characters. So each each chapter is a different character or archetype and they all have names like uh, Mike is the title character. He's your bookkeeper who got promoted to accountant, got promoted to controller and they got promoted to chief financial officer. And now he's in over his head and has no idea what he's doing, but he didn't want to tell you. And so the question is, who's your mic? Every entrepreneur has a mic, had, ha has had a mic or will have a mic. Other characters are Pipeline Paul, uh, Resume Ralph, uh, Techno Tim. They all have different, you know, uh, catchy names uh, that describe the challenges and the opportunities you'll have when you have those types of folks in your company. So, could you talk about some of these archetypes and maybe d dive into 
who Tim is and Paul and Ralph and kind of explore those three guys real quick? Yeah, let me let me start with one I call Harry the Hustler, and it resonates with most people. I think it'll resonate with uh, you know with your audience too. Harry the Hustler is your best sales guy. He can sell ice to Eskimos, and you lean on him for everything. Uh, as you grow, you need to uh, expand your team. You need to grow your sales because now you want to go from one million in revenue to ten million in revenue. So you decide you need a sales leader and a sales strategy, and you need someone to come in and, and hire five sales you know people. Well, Harry raises his hand and says, I want to be that guy. And so you promote Harry to your sales leader. The problem is Harry's not a sales leader or a sales manager. He's just an individual contributor. He can sell, but he can't lead or manage. And there's a whole slew of skills that managers need and leaders need. You've got to create a sales strategy. You've got to uh, manage a bunch of salespeople. And uh, you've got to go through call reports and see if you're doing your job properly, all this stuff. Most salespeople suck at and hate doing that kind of stuff. So now you've promoted uh, Harry, you've, you've got a really crappy manager and you've lost your, your best salesperson because he's no longer selling. So that's Harry. Um, resume Ralph is, uh, man, he looks really sexy on paper. He's got a, the big name behind him, you know, uh, Amazon Web Services or whatever. And uh, he's been there for five years and he's, you know, can talk a great game about how awesome he is. And then you bring him to your startup and Ralph's not really used to working hard. He's got 12 people at, at Amazon directly report to him that do all this stuff for him. So when you get into an entrepreneurial environment and you've got to roll up your sleeves, um, um, Ralph might not be the right person uh, for you. So there's just a couple of examples. For sure. I appreciate it. So could you dive into maybe some of the misconceptions that you see most often in the entrepreneurial world that you work in? Uh, some of the misconceptions. One of them is probably that uh, um, all entrepreneurs are greedy bastards that just want to make money. There's a lot of good people doing good things. I, I, I believe in capitalism for good. And so I, I really like to align myself and work with entrepreneurs who want to do good. Another misconception is that it's easy. You see a guy in a, or a gal in a Lamborghini or in a nice house, and you're like, oh, what those bastards do? They're lucky. Well, not necessarily lucky. They probably work their tail off. Um, what's another good misconception? Oh, um, that there's not an impact on your family. It, it's it's hard when you're busting hump to try to try to make it. You may, you know, burn some bridges or, or piss off a spouse or some kids along the way. You need to make sure you uh, don't forget about life as you're uh, growing your company. Okay. So now I'd love to talk about your work with Hire Better, which is a company that you are the CEO of now and that you helped co-found. So could you talk about the the journey in founding it? What are what are some of the obstacles that you maybe faced and what are some of the big wins that you had? And I'd love to just hear about this. The, I'd love to hear the story about the journey. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'm no longer the CEO. I brought in a CEO a couple oh. of years ago. So that's really exciting for me. I can hopefully step aside a little bit and do more podcasts and things like this. Um, I, um, I actually bought Hire Better. It was a really small company when I bought it. And uh, the founder and I really worked a lot to, to shift it. And it's now a totally new company. So that's why we, we call uh, myself a co-founder. And um, the journey was, uh, or the challenges were, I had had success with a previous company that we grew to about 20 million in sales and sold it. And I came in a little bit cocky, thinking that we were just going to cut and paste and have a similar journey. Um, it's not that easy. 
And so I was humbled along the way. And I realized that the team that helped me build the controller group to be a successful company, I didn't have anymore. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's just not as easy as, as I thought it was going to be because of the past success. That was probably the biggest challenge. Okay. So now you mentioned your podcast. What does that entail? What do you try to do? And what's your purpose in this with yeah. your podcast? Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I wonder that myself uh, often. Uh, my um, the, the topics that we cover, it's called Unlocking Moves. And uh, I want to work mainly with folks in the business world or entrepreneurial community, or really, I guess, any leadership role. And I want to talk to them and have a real conversation about their journey. And I want to understand what uh, I call an unlocking move. It's a, uh, a key pivotal moment or decision point that really changed the trajectory of your career. So for example, how old are you, Charlie? 18? 17. Okay. So you're 17 years old. Let's say you decide to uh, join the military and instead of going to college, or maybe starting your own company instead of going to college, that's an unlocking move. So you're going to look back in 20 years and say, man, if I hadn't done that, where would I be? And so something's going to change your trajectory of your career. I don't know what it is yet, but there's going to be something. I want to inspire others to see what uh, other folks have done along their path so that they can recognize an opportunity when they see it and they can seize it. So for example, uh, one of the guys I had on my uh, podcast was Rod Kurtz. He's a really well-known uh, auditor, uh, I'm sorry, uh, editor and, and writer and, and works for Amex Online and Inc. Magazine, whatever. Early in his career, he reached out to Sir Richard Branson to interview him. And it was a total cold call. Richard Branson never responded, you know, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. Finally, he got a hold of him and they were able to have a, an interview and he had a burgeoning relationship with Sir Richard Branson. Now they're, he's flown on his jet and he's like first name basis with him. That propelled his career. If he hadn't had that grit, that stick to that, you know, uh, inability to, to accept no for an answer, who knows what would happen? Maybe he would just be sitting in some, uh, you know, um, office, you know, pounding out stupid stories. Instead, he's been able to shift his career substantially. So taking that risk uh, when it was presented to him uh, is what I consider to be an unlocking move. That's incredible. I love y'all's message. I also so, want to cover, and sorry to interrupt you, Charlie, but I also want okay, to cover. No, no, I appreciate it. Tell me, tell me your story. And I want to hear, as I like to say in my intro, I want to hear the glory, uh, the, not just the glory stories. I want to hear the gory stories. Because as I like to say, the bigger the shit show, the bigger the lesson. So if I can hear from your story about how, what the challenges you overcame, then that's going to maybe uh, ins uh, ins inspire me to, uh, to, to overcome when I'm faced with adversity because I will be faced with, with adversity. Okay. Well, I started this podcast not knowing what I want to do when I grow up. And I, that's still the case. I still don't know. But it's definitely helped me in my journey and my quest to understand what I want to do when I grow up. And I feel that there's a common there's a common belief with kids and I'm around them all the time because I'm in, I'm still in high school, but there's a common belief that we need to know what we want to do when we grow up yet. We don't know what we need to do and what we should do and what we want to do. And it's, it's so hard to find a passion, which is what everyone is talking about, what everyone wants, but it's really hard. So I decided to interview experts in different fields to help everyone 
and help my audience and help myself learn what they want to do when they grow up? Because that is a really important question to ask. Because if you're pursuing something that you don't like, if you're if you're moving in a direction that you don't want to move, it's it's really hard. So I started it and I want to credit one of my friends, Will Burkhart. He was the first one he started a podcast, which you should check out. It's Studying Success. And his message is to entrepreneurs and he interviews industry titans and experts in their fields and in the field of entrepreneurship. And I really got inspired by him and all credit to him. He does amazing work and you should check him out. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to do something kind of different, but using kind of his method of doing it, which is the podcast interview. And I really appreciate Will being so helpful and mentoring me on my way. He's been an incredible help and it is, it's really awesome to see what we're both doing, but there have been some challenges and as he knows and anyone that pod it's tried to podcast before, it's hard to grow and there's definitely been some challenges in growing and trying to reach out to as many people as possible. And that's, I mean, it's tough when you look and you're like, Oh gosh, dang, it didn't do as well as I had hoped, or I didn't reach as many people as I'd want to. And that just sucks. And you have to sit there with the realization that all this time and work and effort that you're putting in is going to waste. And it's a horrible feeling. But with that being said, it's also amazing to connect with people and interview people and talk with people that you wouldn't normally talk to experts. And that's what keeps me motivated and, and pursuing this as I wouldn't say a career, but as a hobby and as something that I just love doing. So have been a lot of challenges and I'm still growing. I'm still not there yet. And the constant push for excellence and getting better and constant improvement is really what sticks with me and makes me motivated to do more and more. Man, uh, Charlie, that sounds like a good life lesson uh, in, in a number of ways. One is you're, you're never going to be perfect. You're always going to be growing and learning. So that's a lifelong learner. That's a, that's a great mindset to have. Um, second of all, as I said before, uh, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, most people don't know what they want to do when they grow up. And it drives me, I, I've already cursed, so I'm not going to ask if I can curse. It drives me batshit crazy that colleges are forced you to basically declare your major and won't even, you have to put you into the college, can't even decide after a couple of years of college. So I think it's, it's grossly unfair. And uh, I, I think uh, most people, if they're being honest, don't really know what they want to want to be when they grow up or they change their mind based on who their 17 year old self thought they were going to be. So uh, I appreciate what you're doing. I would in encourage your audience to uh, don't feel like they have to be pressured to know exactly what they want to do. Um, if they have a learner m mindset and continue to grow, uh, they're going to shift what they want to do and what they are doing along the way. And if I've learned one thing with my conversations with everyone, so many people are undecided. The people that find success are willing to pivot and change and start out maybe thinking and pursuing one thing and being consistent at it, but then they shift. And it's not a constant or an early shift. It's shift shifting after you put in the work. And I think that that is something that cannot be understated is the importance of pursuing something doesn't, I mean, you don't need to know exactly what you need to do, but pursuing something and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out and you can shift, but the knowledge that you can shift is really powerful and it's helpful. And I'm sure that a lot of people that are in their careers 
feel the pressure of uh, helping support a family or uh, not being a disappointment or not being a failure. And I think that knowing that you can change is a very powerful concept. And knowing that the work you've put in is still going to be useful later. Sorry, that's just a yeah. little rant, but yeah. two very powerful things that I heard and what you just said, Charlie. Uh, number one is uh, you made a comment about being a failure or a disappointment to somebody else. Uh, I'd love for your audience to strike that from their mind. It's not anybody else that they're uh, here to prove to. It's maybe maybe their God or their Lord and yourself. You don't have to prove anything to your parents. Uh, be uh, who you uh, who you should be and who you want to be, um, and and don't reflect anybody else's uh, disappointment or wishes for you. It's it's your life. Number two is um, you are where you are and you're where you are for a reason. So let's say you took a job that you didn't like in for two years. Well, after that two years, you decided to do something else. It doesn't mean those two years were wasted. Those two years helped make you who you are and set you up for your next iteration of yourself. So take that mindset that I don't care where you are, whatever challenges you've gone through, whatever successes you've gone through, keep those with you and make it part of your story. Your wounds, that's part of your story. For sure. For sure. And I saw one of your podcasts, you were talking with a gentleman and you, uh, I'd love for you to tell the story, but you had a little scar on your face and you were telling him that you, you wear the scars proudly because they're proof of who you are and proof of where you've been. But also, uh, I, I don't know if I'm diluting your message, but I'd love for you to speak on that for sure. Yeah, that's funny. That was uh, with Eric Qualman, who happens to be a Westlake uh, dad and former uh, basketball player from Michigan State. He's uh, wrote the book, uh, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube. He's just a really, really cool dude. And he has this concept he calls Flossom. Like, I don't want you to be perfect. I want you to like be perfectly awesome or, or uh, perfectly flaw- uh, flawed, right? And so and earlier, uh, before we went on air, I-, I had a mark on my nose and my producer said, hey, Kurt, don't you have some cover up you can put on your nose because it's, it's pretty glaring. And I said, no, I want to show. I've been on the podcast with this guy who's talking about being flawed, so I'm going to own it. And I think I even told the story on air. It's a pretty embarrassing story how I got uh, scarred. So uh, uh, I was I was shooting guns uh, at, at night on my ranch, and uh, I, I got too close to the scope. So when I shot, it kicked back and hit me in the, in the nose because it was dark uh, at night. So anyway, funny story, embarrassing, but, uh, you know, who cares? Let's celebrate our, our uh, challenges. For sure. And. We're not all perfect. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, the people on Instagram that want to show off their perfect life, uh, it's just an illusion, right? It's not exactly how their life is. They're just putting the best stuff that they can to capture your attention. And social media companies leverage this to make you feel bad. And it's just, it's incredibly powerful to know that everyone is a human. Everyone is having the same struggles as you. And being flossom is it's a very strong philosophy to have, I'm sure. I really yep. like that. Yeah, check so that out. Eric Qualman, he goes by okay. Equal yeah. Man, E. Qualman. And uh, a podcast was Unlocking Moves. It was a, it was a blast. I'd love for your uh, audience to go check it out. For sure. So what are some of the most common unlocking moves that you mentioned? What are the most common kind of pivots or shifts that you found that to be the most powerful and most common? Wow. Um, you know, some of, the, some of them are, are changing 
uh, careers, right? So you're, you go in thinking you're going to be an accountant, which is the guy I talked to today. And he left to go be an entrepreneur to help companies uh, sell on Amazon, uh, which was a, a big shift. And, and, uh, a lot of people said he was an idiot. You're, a, you're an accountant and you're very stable and you've got a good job and you're making pretty decent money. Why would you do that? And so that was his unlocking move. I've got a similar one, uh, although mine goes a little bit before that. Uh, I was not a very good student in college. I actually was a, uh, I started my own business in college and I didn't spend the time on the books. And so when I graduated, I didn't have the best GPA. Uh, I like to tell people that I was uh, just two points shy of a 4.0 average. And when they <laughs> immediately say, well, 3.8, like eh, maybe two point, you know, whatever. Um, and so I wasn't the most highly recruited, right? I ended up passing the CPA exam and I busted my hump and I had some contacts that got me an interview at Ernst & Young and I got a job. And so, you know, pretty short time period, I went from, you know, 2.2 student uh, with a, uh, you know, couldn't find a job to now all of a sudden I'm a CPA with Ernst & Young that gives you credibility. And that was absolutely an unlocking move for me because it just, it, it, it made people think I was better than I really was. Right. I wasn't better. I just happened to, uh, uh, I busted my hump to, uh, to pass that exam. I'd love to focus on one thing that you just said, which is credibility, right? It's something that at least I'm trying to work to build. And I'm sure that a lot of young people and students are working to build what have you found are the best ways to build credibility? Maybe not just with an audience, but on your resume or, uh, I, I mean, it's an open-ended question. So whatever you, whatever you think. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie, that's a great question. I, I would I would lean towards things like being yourself, being authentic. And I know that's easy for easier for me to say because I've had some success and because I can, you know, I can wear a, a, a nose wound, you know, proudly. If, if you show up for an interview with a, a nose wound, you, you may, you're going to feel different. And I'm not sure, honestly, how you'd be perceived. I would hope that if it's the job that you should be taking, that they would be appreciative of you being yourself and not to trying to be somebody who you weren't. So I guess coming back to credibility is, you know, do what you say you're going to do, um, be on time, you know, all the little things that, that make you dependable, uh, that's going to give you credibility. And, and uh, you're also, you're a product of who you hang out with. If you hang out with uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, druggies or, or I don't know, it doesn't matter. If you hang out with the wrong crowd, you become the wrong crowd, right? So hang around with people that you want to uh, aspire to be like. The, the right crowd can can be uh, help shape you into who you uh, desire to be. For sure. As we close, I'd love to talk more generally. I have three questions that I hit pretty consistently with my interviews. So I love to ask you them. So first, if you were to be given the opportunity to go up on a TED stage and give a TED talk, maybe 10 minutes with five minutes notice, right? Not much notice. What would you talk about and why would you talk about it? You know, I'd probably talk about characters from, from Who's Your Mike, but because uh, the reason I wrote the book in the first place is because I had so many conversations with entrepreneurs about their talent challenges consistent themes just came out over and over and over again. And that was the, the, uh, impetus for the characters. So I would just riff about all these great characters that, uh, that I'd seen so many times in my career and, and, uh, and I would let the audience, uh, uh, learn from, from our mistakes and our stories. Okay. Moving on to my second one, which is what are the values and qualities that you are trying as a parent to instill in your children for their futures? 
um, being themselves, uh, which is a consistent theme you've heard. Um, they're not living my life or their mom's life or their friend's life. This is their life. And I'd love for them to pursue a, uh, something that they're passionate about. It doesn't mean that they're going to go play video games in, you know, in, in Hawaii. Um, but, but I want them to, uh, to really be passionate and, uh, about whatever career they choose and not do it just for the money. Okay. And lastly, if you were given the chance to put a message or a quote or an idea on a billboard in front of millions of eyes, what would you say? And why would you say it? I've cursed already on the show. Can I curse here? I mean, as your ahead. audience, go so? ahead. Okay. Uh, I have a saying it, it it's skull motherfucker. S K O L skull. Uh, skull is a, if you've seen the series Vikings or if you watch the NFL football skull is basically a Scandinavian chant that basically means so many things. It means cheers. It means woe to the vanquished. It means let's go get them brother. It means all kinds of things. And I think more of us, we need to have that mindset that we are badasses and we can do it and we're going to be together and all the stuff that Skull uh, exemplifies. Well, I appreciate this conversation very much and I look forward to seeing what you have in store for the future. So thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Charlie, thanks so much for having me and good luck with this, man. I really uh, applaud you. I'm excited to see where it goes.